Hey friends, welcome to Girls' Night. I'm Stephanie Mae Wilson, and I am so happy that you're here. Each week I have a girlfriend over, and we talk through one of the biggest questions we have about our lives as women. We're talking about friendships, and faith, and relationships, and self-confidence. About our calling in life, and how to live every bit of our lives to the absolute full. Life is so much better, and easier, and absolutely more fun when we navigate it together as girlfriends, and I cannot wait to get started. Now friends, I'm so excited about today's episode because if you're anything like me, you are no stranger to the feeling of guilt. Now sometimes it's over something real. You said something you shouldn't have, or you meant to do something and you didn't. Guilt is a totally normal reaction in situations like that. But again, if you're anything like me, guilt tends to spill out of those circumstances and into all kinds of corners of your life, beating you up as you feel like you're somehow too much and not enough all at the very same time. Often I feel the most guilt when I do something I actually know is right, something like setting boundaries or saying an important no or speaking up for myself. And that feeling of guilt tends to keep me up at night. Well, that's why I'm so excited about today's episode. Today we're talking to my new friend, Valerie Burton, and I am telling you right now, you are going to love her. Valerie is a national bestselling author of 13 books, an international speaker, and a life strategist. Her latest book is called Let Go of the Guilt, and so she is absolutely our go-to person for this topic. Valerie's gonna help us learn to decode our guilt, how to know when our guilt is pointing us to something we need to fix or apologize for, but also how to know when we're experiencing false guilt, beating ourselves up when we absolutely did not do anything wrong. And here's my favorite part. After she helps us figure out the difference, she's gonna help us stop beating ourselves up. She's gonna teach us how to keep guilt from running our lives. I cannot wait for you to get to hear from her. But before we dive in, I have a resource I wanted to make sure you know about. It's my newest prayer journal, and it's called The Between Places, 100 Days of Trusting God When You Don't Know What's Next. I love this journal because it's a powerful, practical way for us to connect with God in times when our future feels really uncertain. Through guided prayer prompts, The Between Places will help you trust God with the trickiest, most uncertain, and most important parts of your life. It'll help you believe more fully than ever that God is good, that He loves you, and that He's taking care of you. It'll help you live today with more contentment, step into the future with more courage and faith, and rest in God's peace knowing that He's with you every step of the way. To order a copy of your own, just head to my website. It's stephaniemaywilson.com, and that link will also be in our show notes. All right, friends, without any further ado, let's hop into my episode with Valerie. Friends, I'm so excited for who I get to introduce you to today. I'm sitting here with my new friend, Valerie Burton. Valerie, I'm so excited to have you here. Thanks so much for being on Girls' Night. Oh, thanks for having me, Stephanie. So for women who haven't gotten to meet you yet, can you tell us who you are, what you do, and a fun fact about yourself? Sure. So I am, like you said, Valerie Burton. Um, I am an author, a speaker, a life coach. I train life coaches uh, Let Go of the Guild is my 13th book. And uh, let's see, fun fact, I live on a horse farm, which was not planned. <laughs> okay. okay. Sunsets are great. And I'm about three miles from the cul-de-sac subdivision that I moved from in 2017. It's been quite the adventure. <laughs> oh my gosh. Where do you, where are you located? I am in, I'm south of Atlanta in Georgia. Okay. Okay. That's awesome. That's awesome. So it was it was not an intended, or it was a sort of a surprise horse farm kind of thing? It was part of a, I would say, kind of a, my husband had told me about a dream he had before we even got married. And I don't know where this listing showed up somehow on my computer. And I shared it with him only like, hey, remember when you had that dream? Here's like this this fits the bill, but not like let's move at all. Like it was literally like, do you just pass stuff along sometimes? Hey, look. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and now you live there. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> so moral of the story, careful what you pass along. Yeah. Because one of my girlfriends talks about how she said, I always feel like we need to pay, my husband and I need to pay attention to the things we joke about. Because she's like, we joke about something and then we have like, we joke about like, you know, it would be great to have another baby and then I'm pregnant. <laughs> like, it would be like, it's just all of, they're joking, but they're not really joking somehow. And so it's just, you know, whatever just kind of casually comes out of your mouth. It's like, there's something to that. Yeah, there's something there. And uh, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's really beautiful. We have beautiful sunsets and uh, 
And I, I like it, but I always laugh that this was not something that was planned. <laughs> yes. Well, so I actually ended up moving from Colorado to Georgia to um, an hour north of Atlanta, uh, gosh, a handful of years ago, by, totally by accident. Um, I moved for a part-time, well, it wasn't a part-time job. I moved for like a temporary job. And I thought I'd be there for about six months. And then I met this cute guy that I worked with and <laughs> we got married. And this Colorado girl has been living in the South for like almost 10 years now. And I'm like, okay. how did I... So Stephanie, do you know I'm a Colorado girl also? No, wait, you are? Seriously? Yeah, my husband and I went to high school together in Colorado and ended up like meeting here in Atlanta when he saw one of my books in the airport because he's a pilot. <laughs> so 1,500 miles from where we grew up. Oh my gosh. We finally had lunch together. Yes, that's... <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, so both from Colorado, both had our love story start in Georgia. That's amazing. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, I'm going to have to ask you a million more questions about that. But no one else cares. And so I'll, I'll ask you when we're done. <laughs> um, okay, so Valerie, you mentioned this just briefly, but you recently had a book come out called Let Go of the Guilt. Can you talk to us about the book and like, how did this topic come about for you? Well, I had guilt that was unexpected guilt when I finally became a mom, which was a very long journey for me. And, but I had always had a game plan of how I wanted it to look. I remember being 20 and saying, you know, I, I want to be an author because I want to have a career, but I also want to have a family. And I just, ha I, I didn't know what, I didn't know if that was going to be like novels or what, but I always loved books so much that that epiphany was like God giving me a little glimpse of what life could be. And it was more than 20 years later when I was actually finally fully in that vision um, with my family. And I felt guilty. I felt guilty about uh, working. I felt guilty when I dropped my son off. And my husband was like, isn't this the vision that you had? And, you know, I don't think he wants to be home with you all day. Like he really likes hanging out with his friends. <laughs> <laughs> and I found it interesting that he he just, he couldn't even really grasp the concept of the guilt. So where it really took off was I was speaking and I do a lot of keynote speaking. And I was asked to also do a breakout session about working parents. And I thought, I am not the expert, but okay. And when I mentioned guilt, Stephanie, there was this collective like gasp and women just started talking about their guilt. And it was all over the place. It was, I should have you know, my kids aren't launching, you know, like they're, they're 20 something and they should be able to launch and they're not launching or other women asking questions makes me feel guilty. And then I started talking to moms who weren't working and some of them are guilty that they aren't working or they're guilty about, I mean, just, we're just guilty as women. We feel guilty. And so I began to realize that it, for me, it felt like an epidemic. I couldn't ask a woman about guilt without her almost cutting me off before I finish asking the question because it's like, yeah. And some of them are like, yeah, it informs most of my decisions. I feel guilty all the time. I never feel like I'm doing enough and I feel bad about it. And I thought, I want to climb out of this, but I really want to help other women, especially. It's not that men never feel guilt, but women in many ways are more wired for it. <laughs> and and I think our culture has a lot of messages that leads us to feel that lead us to feel even more guilty. Uh, I feel like talking to you right now is just the biggest gift because I'm like, I feel like I'm putting a deposit in like a future bank account. You know, <laughs> I'm like, I, I'm so happy to, to, because, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm mom, but they're still, they're still in here. So um, <laughs> they don't need a whole lot from me yet. But I like, I just, one, the mom guilt thing, I've heard so much about it and I'm not even a mom yet. Also. When when I came across your book, I was like, I feel guilty for a million different things and things where, you know, I'll talk to my husband about it or I'll talk to a friend about it and they'll be like, you don't need to feel guilty for that. That's not a real thing. And so right. I just I'm so glad that you're doing this work. And you know what, Steph? It's not just it's not just the mom guilt. In fact, there was a really interesting study some time ago that showed that whether a woman was a mom or not, whether she was um married or not, 
if she had to work after hours, she felt guilty. So there were 25-year-old single women with no kids who felt guilty about needing to work at eight o'clock at night or on a Saturday. And men didn't have that same amount of guilt. And then I surveyed over 500 women when I wrote the book. And I thought mom guilt was at the top. It wasn't. It was like number five. <laughs> oh my gosh. We so what kinds of... things? Number one, it was, it was a tie between um, not exercising and eat how we eat. So like just not making what we think are the right choices every single day, we end up feeling guilty. You know, I would feel guilty if I set my alarm clock and said, okay, I'm getting an early start. I'm going to get writing early this morning. <laughs> then I hit snooze too many times and then I wake up, I'm already feeling guilty. So it's, um, it's a challenge. And then motherhood, you add that on. I actually had one man say to me that he, he feels that women in particular are driven, moms especially, by guilt. Like we don't even realize how many of our decisions and what we're trying to do have to do with us feeling guilty. And that's why I wanted to write the book, because if we're making decisions out of guilt, that creates a problem and it creates bigger issues. Well, that just, that stinks. Like that's not how we want to live our lives. We want to make decisions out of love and out of care and out of joy and out of like goodness, not out of not out of guilt. That's just, it's gross. So you mentioned a little bit like cultural messages and, but I would, I'm really curious to know as you've dug into this more like deeply, where does this come from for, for us? Like, is there, does anyone know? And, and you know, it, it is, seems to be a lot stronger in us than it is in men. So why, why, like, why do we feel so guilty all the time? (laughs) Well, one, perfectionism is largely a women's issue. We want to get it just perfect, just right. And so guilt is really this, there's one of two things. There's authentic guilt, and I distinguish these in the book. Authentic guilt is when we actually have done something wrong, right? Something we need to admit, apologize for, atone for. I mean, that's really important to note. But mainly in the book, I'm talking about what I call false guilt. This is Not I have done something wrong, but I feel like I've done something wrong. (laughs) So the false (laughs) guilt is tied to the feeling of doing something wrong. And so there are a few things with women. One, um, as women, we are more other focused. We are very relational and guilt is all often tied to feeling like we've harmed someone, right? So as a mom, it's if I don't do these things for my kids, (laughs) that I'm somehow going to harm them or they're not going to have the same advantages as other kids. And so those thoughts can be going through your mind all day. Like during this pandemic, when kids probably have had a lot more screen time than ever, and you might've felt guilty about the screen time in 2019. (laughs) But by this point, you're, you're feeling terrible. And so That other focus is a big part of it. And then another piece is that we have a more complex range of emotions. So as women, we feel higher highs and lower lows. This is one of the reasons that women um, are twice as likely to experience depression Mm -hmm. as men. When we feel low, we actually feel lower. And actually, when we're happy, we actually feel happier. Well, when you think of emotions, guilt is an emotion. And so it can feel more, um, more intense in us. We also tend to be more empathetic. So you know, all this stuff I'm talking about isn't just me talking. This is what the research shows. Well, if you're empathetic and you think you might have done or said something or not done something, and you're, you have the empathy for the other person, you're thinking about what they're thinking and what they're feeling. And so all of this kind of emotional intelligence, <laughs> and just all of these emotions make a really big difference. Uh, for us. And so there was one study out of Spain that I thought was so funny because it said that not only were women guilt prone, it said men were guilt deficient. (laughs) 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 They claim that, you know, by the time men reach their fifties, they feel guilt and they're more empathetic. Um, But generally speaking, as women, we are, we feel more guilty. We worry more. And of course, guilt often is tied to worry we have a lot of expectations on us today, more than our moms and our grandmothers ever had. 
And so we're having to make all of these decisions. I mean, just think about, for example, the moms like me and many others who had school decisions to make this year. Um, we're making decisions. People are going through so much economically. There are people beating themselves up because they didn't have more of a financial cushion. And now they're furloughed or a spouse has been laid off. And just the beating yourself up can be relentless. And we have to make a decision to stop and to really reclaim that joy that we're supposed to be tapping into rather than focusing on the things we feel like we're doing wrong. Mm. I can relate to so much of that, especially like not wanting to harm. There have been so many times where I have left an interaction with a friend, a you know, a phone call, a tech, even just like a text conversation or, you know, dinner at a friend's house. And I'm going back through feeling guilty for things I didn't say or things I did say, or like, I feel like I, how I said it. Yeah. And, and I'll have, I'll get texts from friends that say, Hey, you know what? You know, I had so much fun with you tonight. I'm so sorry that I didn't ask for more or let you talk more about this. Or I'm so sorry I said this or whatever. And, and I'll go, I was not thinking that at all. Like that had not crossed my mind at all or that crossed my mind, but I know your heart, but then I totally don't accept the same in reverse. I think, oh my gosh, like I said the wrong thing. And, and that's something I've been really like working through for the last couple of years, because I mean, it used to be like my anxiety would just go nuts over saying the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. It's you're right. Mm-hmm. Our, our inner dialogue can just be so brutal. Very much. And that's a big part of the problem again with, with the false guilt, especially we have to start asking ourselves, well, what exactly do I think I did wrong? Is that true? Is that actually wrong? Like we have, we have to push back against the thoughts. And that's what I kind of talk people through the process of how do you let go of that guilt? How do you stop beating yourself up? And one of the ways is by noticing your thoughts. Yeah. Okay. I want to ask you way more about this, but first, you know, you talked about like real guilt, which I'm glad you said that. Cause yeah, there, there are times when our, our emotions, while they don't always tell us the truth are really good like warning signs, you know? And so, so guilt is a great warning sign to, Hey, there might be something you need to apologize for, or like something, there's something that needs to change, but it's like that warning sign is broken and like just fires off false positives all the time. And so how do we start to discern the difference between, I feel guilty because I did something wrong and there's something I need to fix. And I just feel guilty because that's my natural state of being these days. (laughs) Yeah. So again, going back to just asking yourself, so stopping, what is is it that I'm saying to myself that I did wrong? That's stop number one, like pinpoint, whatever it is. And then you want to really examine that thought. Like, is that true? Did I actually do something wrong? Because, and we have to be honest with ourselves. Not, this is not an emotional answer. Well, I feel like I really did it. No, did you do something wrong? Um, I think that so often we don't question our thoughts. We don't take them captive, right? We just let them just take over. And we cannot do that. We have to say, okay, is this true? Now, if it is true, we want to deal with it and we want to walk down that path of acknowledging what is wrong, assessing what the damage is, apologizing for it, looking for those ways to atone for it, really. Sometimes we can't undo something, but we can have remorse. I mean, God wired us to feel guilt. It's not all bad. And in in fact, I talk in the book about the upside of guilt. I mean, people who feel a lot of guilt often are more conscientious. (laughs) They're they're better to be in relationships with. They're better... uh, managers and people to uh, work for because they want to do what's right. But when we let that spiral out of control, because we're feeling guilty about things we don't need to feel guilty about, that's where the problem comes in. And so being able to, to look at the thoughts and decide, and sometimes you might need help. I mean, if you really are someone that beats yourself up too much, Call a friend, a coach, even a counselor, somebody who's going to have that wisdom and is willing to push back when you insist that something's wrong that really isn't. Okay, that's really helpful. I this might that might be the answer to this, but 
You mentioned that perfectionism is something that we deal with as women a lot, and I I totally can relate to that. I feel like sometimes if I if I'm feeling guilty guilty for something, like, and I'm and I'm stopping the thoughts and I'm taking a good look at them and I'm saying, should I feel guilty about this? What if our barometer is off because we feel like we should be better than we are? Because we were talking about like mom guilt. That's that's just the example that came in my head. Like, I did, I haven't given my kids vegetables in like two days. I don't know if that's something that happens, but <laughs> it's. Sounds like it's something that I might I might experience. Um, <laughs> I haven't given my kids vegetables in like two days. I'm feeling so guilty about that. Are they going to be fine? Yes. But like, can I let myself off the hook for this? Can I stop feeling guilty for this? No, because I should be better than this. Okay. So there's two things. One is in how you're describing it. Like the I should be better is so internalizing something that's what I should do, right? There's a difference between I should be better and I should do better or I can do better. Should is a telltale guilt word, by the way. So if you find yourself constantly saying I should or I should have, that's a sign of a lot of guilt, okay? And it's rooted in expectations. So sometimes we have to reset our expectations and sometimes there's a combination of false guilt and and authentic guilt. So let's just kind of stick with me here for a second. So we might have expectations that are so high we can't we can't reach them every single day. And so we're setting ourselves up for guilt, right? You yeah. might have a kid that just pushes back so much and you're trying really hard and it's just not happening. And you're looking at the parent over here and their kid eats all their vegetables two or three times a day. As a matter of fact, they're asking for raw carrots. Right? And you're like, what are you doing? We have three kids and my son is pretty good at eating vegetables. I mean, he we have a garden and he'll, he, he will try raw things out of the garden. My husband was picking black eyed peas the other day. And he's like, oh, that's so good. And we're like, can you wait till they're cooked? <laughs> Brussels sprouts, raw, like it, it's Ooh. stuff I don't even do. Yeah, But that's just how he is. But the other two... They're not going to eat like that, but we still have them eat something, right? I don't feel guilty that they're not eating the same way. So what you have to do is reset your expectation. So you may have the expectation that, yes, I do need my kids to eat healthy, but you may need to reset what that looks like because you're, if your standards are so high, you can never meet them. You're always going to feel guilty. So how could you maybe lower that, but it's still at a point that you, you can live with? Right. Because and I and, and I'm going deep into some of the things I talk about in the book, but our expectations are driven by our values. So any mom who's saying my kids should have vegetables is a mom who really believes as a mother, I'm trying to make my kids as healthy as possible. I'm trying to get them to develop good habits. Right. That's great. You're saying that's what mom should do. And you know what? You're right. But there are a lot of different expectations you can set about how to live out those values. And so this takes just stepping back and you might have, maybe it's a new rule in your house. Maybe they're going to eat vegetables every other day right now. And in between, I'm just going to make sure they get plenty of fruit because they eat fruit better than they eat vegetables. Let's try that for a week. Let's experiment with it and see how it goes. And then I'll see if I'm going to reset the expectation, but just kind of think through what else could you do and decide that's your new expectation. So you don't have to feel guilty. This is I feel like there's a small subset of of our listeners who are who are thinking this and this is kind of the way that my brain worked. I would say probably through a lot of high school and a lot of college. It doesn't work this way like I I've really worked through some of these things, but I want to ask this because I know that like high school and college me are not the only ones feeling this way. So, if I lower my expectations on myself, isn't that like a slippery slope? Like if I let my expectations slide a little bit, am I just going to like totally fall apart or completely fall short of everything I want to do and achieve and become in the world? Or like, how can I lower expectations or or reset them to be a little more realistic without feeling like I'm letting, I'm just like, yeah, getting on a slide headed towards total failure? So are you just going to let all your goals go because you reset one expectation? I am curious. Is that so, who you are? Wait, say that, say that again. Would you let everything go and just kind of slide completely downhill because you reset an expectation? No. 
So there we go with saying things to ourselves that aren't true and then worrying based on that thing. Yeah. So there's research that shows that lowering expectations actually increases happiness. And in fact, Gallup has done all this research around the world on on countries and where are the happiest countries. And so several years ago, it became really famous that Denmark Mm -hmm. is the happiest country, even happier than its other Scandinavian counterparts. And they couldn't figure that out because those cultures are very similar. And what they figured out was they said the Danes have lower expectations about what their everyday lives should look like. And it's not that they have low expectations. It's just they don't have these high expectations of what it's supposed to look like. Therefore, they can be content and happier with how things are. As Americans, oh my goodness, we are, we are we're not only individualistic, but we often have these super high expectations of what you're supposed to be doing in your life in order to be successful. We're very, I mean, Obviously, everybody in the world is dealing with social media, I mean, a large portion, but that's a huge piece. We are seeing more of what we think everyone else's life looks like than ever, and that influences our expectations, and that can leave us feeling guilty. I mean, as a business owner, I've had the experience of I'm moving right along, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, and then boom, I'm looking at somebody else's social media feed and they are just rocking it, doing something else. And suddenly I'm like, why aren't you doing that? What are you, <laughs> what are you doing over here? <laughs> and so it's awful. I mean, I hate to even admit it. I have had to unfollow people, yeah. not because I don't like them, but because I'm trying to turn off that comparison that I don't want to do, but sometimes I do, and then beat myself up. So just recognizing that expectations are influenced in a lot of different ways. And so I I was not saying have low expectations, not at all. I'm saying that if your expectations are unrealistic or your expectations are just setting you up to consistently feel like you're not doing enough, then change them. It doesn't even mean that those expectations might not be reasonable three or five years from now. But where you are right now, right? What, why not set yourself up for joy, for contentment, to be able to feel like that your efforts are enough? I just don't believe that God wants us to be living our everyday lives feeling like we're never doing enough. That. Mm-hmm. From my perspective as a believer, that's just a trick of the enemy. It's just one of those new ways with all the expectations and all the technology that the enemy can just sow seeds of doubt and berate us. And then when we adopt that for ourselves and those become our thoughts, it's miserable and it doesn't have to be that way. It keeps us from doing actually anything good. Like this is this is such a random example, but this is not very recent either. So everyone just needs to know that. But for a while there, I was really, really good at working out consistently <laughs> and really good at, at like cardio. It was something I wanted to grow in. I wasn't like, I. it's never been my favorite kind of exercise, like, you know, hopping on an, a treadmill or an elliptical or something like that. But I just, for a while, I really got into it. And I used to be for the longest time, like I said, the kind of person that would be like, I would set just totally unattainable goals and then beat myself up when I wouldn't meet them. And so I'd be like, you need to be going to the gym. And I used to speak to myself like this too. I don't anymore. But like, you need to be going to the gym for an hour a day. And then if I fell short of that, I I mean, it wasn't just that I fell a little short, like I would fall totally off the wagon. So I'd be like, there's no point in even going to the gym at all. I'm just going to, you know, sit here and watch a movie or something. But in this season, so it was totally counterproductive. So it was like an all or nothing. If I yes. don't do this humongous thing, then forget it. I Forget failed. it. Yeah. And so, but the thing that was so cool was during this time, I, I would tell myself, you do need to go to the gym, but you need, you only need to stay there for 10 minutes. And I would drive all the way to the gym and like the trip there and back was like probably 20 minutes. And so right. it, it didn't make sense. <laughs> But I would get to the gym and I'd say, you only need to be here for 20 or for 10 minutes. I'd get on an elliptical, but then I'd kind of get into the groove and I'd be like, I could do five more. I could do five more. 
I could do five more. I'm enjoying this. And then before I knew it, I'd be there so much longer than maybe I would have otherwise. And then some days I I honestly just left after 10 minutes. <laughs> but like, at least I did that because you, you did it. Yeah. And then when you did more, now it's not, I'm never doing enough. It's now I'm doing more. Yeah. Then enough. And you, get and you actually build on about it. Yeah. You get to build on progress. And I feel like I always thought that I would, that I was motivated by, I don't know, like negativity sort of, or I, I always thought that that was the way to motivate myself. But really it was like, if I can just make a tiny bit of progress in this area, then I'm so excited. And I feel like I want to do it again. I can do it again. Yeah. And it just shifted so many things for me. Stephanie, that's really brilliant. And it's, even though you, I'm sure you weren't reading all the research stuff I'm always reading. No, I definitely wasn't. It lines up with it. Like when we... My, I always call myself a recovering procrastinator. And how do I get over it? I'll tell myself, just work on it for five minutes. Five minutes. You can do anything for five minutes. And of course, that's what I need to get over the hump where I have felt stuck to even get started. And that could be whether I'm writing something or cleaning out the the garage. I mean, it's literally just, just get started. And here's the other thing. The positive emotion that you get from feeling good actually helps you to make more good decisions. So positive emotion expands your mind's ability to like see options. It helps you deal with adversity and with stress. I mean, and right now, especially we need more of that positive emotion. You don't need to be beating yourself up. Mm. You need to be looking for what am I doing right? What am I doing well? And then the things I'm not doing well, it's okay. So what's the message in that for me? What's God trying to teach me here? Yeah. I mean, we all fall short, right? So if we just kind of step back and go, yeah, I'm weak here. And God, what are you trying to show me? What can I learn? It doesn't become about failing or not doing enough. It just becomes a part of your faith journey. I love this so much. Hey, friends, I want to take a quick break from our conversation with Valerie to thank today's sponsor. Our sponsor for today's episode is an awesome company called Uncommon Goods. Now, for those hard-to-gift people in your life, there's finally an easy answer, and it's UncommonGoods.com. If you're on the hunt for unique, unusual gifts that are guaranteed to delight, this is the spot for you. Uncommon Goods has the best gifts no matter who you're shopping for and no matter what the occasion is. They have a wide variety of gifts to choose from, including art, jewelry, things for your kitchen, things for your home. There really is something for everyone. Just to give you an idea of how unique their items are, here are just a few of the things that caught my eye while I was looking through their website. They have a macaron kit so that you can DIY your own French macarons right in your kitchen. Love that. They have this really cool personalized family recipe board, which means that you can send in a handwritten recipe from an aunt, your mom, your grandmother, and they will etch that recipe in that person's handwriting right into the wood board. Wouldn't that make the most special gift? Another thing I thought was really cool is that they have an indoor s'mores fire pit, so you can make s'mores right at your kitchen table. Such a great idea for uh, rainy days or times when you can't get out to the fire pit, right? Uh, Carl and I ended up using Uncommon Goods when we were shopping for a certain family member of ours uh, not long ago, and we picked out some uh, handcrafted grilling spice blends for them. It was an awesome gift. They loved it. It was delicious and unique, and it was really fun to get to support a small independent business. So along with having really just awesome, unique gifts, with every purchase you make at Uncommon Goods, they give back a dollar to a nonprofit partner of your choice. So you can buy a gift and help out a nonprofit all at the same time. This is such a fun company, and I'm so excited to tell you about them, especially because they're giving all of my Girls' Night listeners a discount. To get 15% off your next gift, go to uncommongoods.com slash girlsnight. That's uncommongoods.com slash girlsnight for 15% off. Don't miss out on this limited time offer. Uncommon Goods, they are all out of the ordinary. Uncommon Goods, thanks so much for sponsoring our Girls' Night. We absolutely love having you. Okay, now without any further ado, let's jump back into my conversation with Valerie. I feel like someone's listening and like, wow, Stephanie was really mean to herself. Like, yes, I was. <laughs> you were totally right. But I, I hope that that like for anyone else who who feels trapped in high expectations or perfectionism sometimes that this is helpful because I, I just wish that I could have heard this, you know, mm. 10 and 15 years ago. It just would have made such a difference. You know, when I was writing the book, I interviewed a lot of people and 
you know, my background is in applied positive psychology. I know that sounds made up, but no, that's uh, awesome. Yeah, I went to grad school after I'd been writing for several years. I went back to grad school at the University of Pennsylvania. And so what I write about typically is about, you know, my mission is inspiring women to live more fulfilling lives. I write a lot about happiness, about anything that's around how do you live better? How do you get unstuck from things? But this guilt thing, this is like a negative emotion, right? Yeah. And and so I realized that I was writing it because I want women to really take back their joy. But I also realized that so many of us beat ourselves up so much. And what we really need is a dose of self-compassion. Hmm. Treat yourself the way you treat your best friend if they were dealing with the same thing. Say the things to yourself that you would say to somebody you really, really care about. Because too often we we talk to ourselves in ways that we would never talk to somebody we really cared about, ever. Ever. (laughs) (laughs) And so here's the thing. We are supposed to love our neighbors as ourselves. That means we need to love ourselves. That means we, because otherwise, how do we love other people if we haven't taken the time to be just kind to ourselves. So if you're going through something really hard right now and you're tempted to beat yourself up and it's just a lot of self-blame and maybe you did make some bad decisions, we all do from time to time, right? And and part of becoming a wiser person is learning how to how to navigate through even the challenges we've created for ourselves. But at some point, even just saying this is hard, actually will lower your stress level and make you feel better. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've certainly been in this circumstance where maybe I'm with someone and there's not anything to say because what they're going through is just, you wish you could do something, there's nothing you can do. But when you just show up and put your arm around them and say, I'm so sorry you're going through, this is hard. Do that for yourself. (laughs) Stop and say, this is hard right now. This is harder than what my normal life looks like. And maybe what I need is uh, an extra nap. Maybe maybe what I need is to pull back on some of the expectations that I normally have to give myself some grace. That is self-compassion. And the more we practice it, the more we're able to let go of our guilt. I feel like that's like just the hug that we all need right now. (laughs) So. When it comes to kind of like both sides of this, like you said that people who feel a lot of guilt tend to be like pretty good to be in relationship with, like, because they're really like trying to do well, they're trying to manage you well, they're trying to be a really good friend, you know, so, so there are some like good things that come out of it. But like, what does the effect of this look like long term? If we are, if we are being run by our guilt, Mm -hmm. how does that play out? negatively in our relationships and in our, let's do relationships and work. Okay. So with our relationships, there'll be everyday decisions. In the introduction of the book, I talk about this morning that I was getting my son ready and we were about to leave for the bus stop. And long story short, we were running a little bit early and that felt really good. And it was, uh, we were, it was time for us to leave. And right when we were leaving, my son asked if he could eat his cereal at the table instead of in the car, which he is, I, I, as a kid never ate cereal because my mother made grits, eggs, bacon, and toast every morning. <laughs> oh my gosh. Praise her. <laughs> we sat at the table and we ate and <laughs> to this day. I can't not eat breakfast because I had such a big breakfast every morning, but my son doesn't like any of that stuff. And he wants his Cheerios and he wants them in a little bag. Well, as soon as he said that, I felt guilty. All he wants to do is eat at the table. And you're trying to rush him out the door. He's eating cereal, for goodness sakes. Your mother never even fetched you cereal. And now he's got to eat it in the car. Like, in the car, poor kid. And it's so early in the morning. Like, these thoughts went through my head in about 2.5 seconds, Stephanie. And, like, Like, you barely had coffee. Like, it is so early. No, it's like 6.55, and I've got to get him. He goes to school across town. I need to get him to the bus stop. And so you know what I said? I said, okay. And then, of course, he ate really slow. And then we, I mean, 
it was this rush to the bus stop. I ended up hitting a curb trying to turn into the parking lot to get to the bus, busted my tires. And we were like, <laughs> you could hear the tires like flopping. I'm trying to get to the bus. The bus is taking off out of the parking lot. And thank goodness the bus driver recognized my car and stopped. And, and I had to sit there and go, what happened? Like, what happened? The morning was going great. And when I sat and thought about it, and this is why we've got to notice our thoughts, right? When I thought about it, I said, it was guilt. The decision was guilt. The guilt was like, Alex wasn't real. He just, he knows how to kind of push my buttons and he didn't really <laughs> care that much. But I'm sitting there going, you're doing something wrong. You really, you know, I know he doesn't like eggs and bacon, but he should be having eggs and bacon every morning like you had. And you know, he should never eat in the car. You never eat in the car because I mean, who's going to be able to eat their eggs and bacon in the car? For anyway? real, yeah. Not great travel food. But what ends up happening, Stephanie, is that we're making, that's a small decision. But as I interviewed people, I realized there are people who made marriage decisions out of guilt, right? Like I broke up with this person once, I can't try it again and then break their heart again. So maybe this is, maybe we're back together for a reason. Maybe even though they're not feeling the Holy Spirit tell them this is the right direction to go. I mean, some of the stories, even one of them was a friend of mine's mother, who is one of the youngest known survivors of the Holocaust. And she talked to me about her guilt, even her guilt of calling herself a survivor because she doesn't actually remember being in the camp because she was so young. And so when we talk about like, how does this drive decisions? It's in a lot of different ways. One woman is a mom. She has two kids, but the first one she had very young, she got pregnant in high school. And so until that child was seven, she was doing it all on her own and she got married. Well, the younger child has had a completely different life. So she's always comparing it. I did wrong by my younger daughter, even though she did the absolute best that she could. It's a daily conversation. And I actually coached her through the process and you could see the weight lifting like, you know, my daughter's doing fine. Everything she has ever thought her daughter should be doing different. She's blamed herself. But the daughter's actually doing great. But she's so hard on herself that everything that goes wrong, she blames herself for. So it's those little things like, you know, can you eat at the table? And we only have three minutes <laughs> for you to do it. And I feel guilty. And it's the really big decisions of life. It's the money decisions. It's it's out of that 500 that I surveyed, the number who said, I feel guilty because I'm the most successful in my family. And so they get guilt tripped. I'm, I'm Every time someone's got an issue, I'm the one that's supposed to fix it. And if I don't fix it, maybe I'm being selfish. <sighs> Instead of stepping back and saying, maybe I'm being guilt tripped. Maybe there's a different response to this than me just constantly doling out money or always doling out my time because I'm the one who doesn't have any children. And so I'm the one who's expected to always step in and I'm supposed to do all of these other things. And it's I'm not saying that we shouldn't give and be helpful, but when that becomes a burden, when others in, in terms of relationships begin putting expectations on us that are not aligned with our own expectations and what God's telling us to do, that's where it becomes a big problem. I feel like everyone needs to like pull out their journal and just sit for a while. <laughs> okay, so what about work? Like when we're making decisions out of guilt in our work for the long haul, like what is that? There's some ways that it can make us really helpful, <laughs> but yeah. what are some ways in which it hold, that holds us back? Well, oftentimes we can become over-responsible. So over-responsibility is when you are doing things that other people can and should be doing, <laughs> right? And if you're in an organization and you're doing that, well, you're probably going to be rewarded for it because you're the one everyone can rely on. And yet at the same time, at some point, there's going to be uh, resentment. At some point, you're going to start to get burned out. And then the expectation is going to be there. So responsibility can actually transfer from other people to you because you've started doing things so much that now it's, oh, Stephanie does that. Well, Stephanie's actually not supposed to be doing that. 
So over-responsibility can be um, a really big issue. And then I think with work, we always have to look at how that's overlapping with our personal lives. And so especially in times when, um, as we all, many of us are right now, either working from home or just things have changed or maybe there's layoffs and you're taking over things you didn't have to do um, before. And yes, and I keep mentioning guilt trips because (laughs) when you're someone who is prone to guilt, guilt trippers and manipulators notice that and can use it against you. So I do, I have a whole free audio training I did with the book just about guilt trips and how to recognize them and, and the scripts you can use to actually get yourself out of a guilt trip. But guilt trips really tend to, they only really work with people that we have close relationship with. And that, it, that can include a boss or a cl- close coworker. And so we have to make a decision to be bold and courageous enough to have some of those difficult conversations to set boundaries. It's, you know, we've talked about this. I feel, I feel like a little exposed in this conversation because I'm like, man, these are either things I have dealt with, like really, really dealt with very recently or like major struggles of mine throughout my whole life. But, mm-hmm. you know, we've talked about about therapy a lot on the show and, and just how helpful that's been for me throughout my life. But yeah. like everything that you just talked about, about setting boundaries and knowing what's like deciding what's yours to do and what's not yours to do and and setting that line and communicating that line and not letting other people make you feel guilty for things that are not yours to do. And, and yeah. like, not, I mean, that is like this, this is absolutely like what I just spent like two years talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but it's been so good. And, and, you know, my husband and I were just talking about it with just, you know, I mean, we're, we're getting ready to be parents and what does that look like? And, and we were both just feeling really grateful for that work that I got to do. We It took us a lot longer to get pregnant than we were hoping it would. And in the midst of that, that this is a lot of the stuff that I was kind of waiting through. And I don't, I don't know that like God was like, I need you to work on some things before we're going to let you have kids. But I am really grateful for the timing because I think that I'm going to be able to just be a better mom in a lot of ways because because I, I have just a, a stronger sense of of boundaries and what's my responsibility and what's not. And that was really hard work, but I'm really like life on the other side of it. I just feel like I'm able to love people better, like actually better and do better work because I'm not doing everything. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. And the process is so good that you went through of saying, what am I supposed to be learning here and how can I get better? And I want you to just remember all those lessons, like when the babies come, right? <laughs> I need to tattoo them on my forehead so I you can know, see them. We have so much information coming at us today about what we should be doing, how things should look, what, you know, what kind of birth are you going to have? How are you feeding your children? How are you schooling your children? I mean, there's just so much that even if you're sure about what is right for you and your family, you can easily second guess. Because yeah. even if you're not looking for the information, there's a good chance it's being pushed to you because of whatever websites you've been on or what <laughs> your preferences are because you're being targeted. And so just knowing that can be very empowering um, because I think we have to be very intentional about the voices that we choose to listen to. And in motherhood, boy, there are a lot of voices. A lot of them are other moms. And we we have to let go of judgment and assuming that everybody is in the same situation and should make all of the same um, choices. Um, I'm going to read you something I wrote at the very end of the book because this was such a big learning for me. And you'd think I would have already tagged this. Here it is. I must know my book well. Yeah, good job. That's fast. Right to the page. Okay. So there were two truths that I that I took away that I wanted to remember. And one was, until you accept and embrace the unique life God created for you, you'll feel guilty for not living the life you think others expect of you. That was number one. Because oftentimes we feel that pressure of what we think everybody else expects, whether it's parents or peers or coworkers or or 
or the proverbial they. We can't even say who they are, but it's like what they think. And then the second part of it is you cannot accept and embrace the unique life God created for you, uh, you for, excuse me, if you don't truly believe God created you for a purpose, a purpose that may look different from those around you. For me, this was so freeing. Like I had these ideals in my mind that I, in some ways I wanted to let them go, but they were so deeply ingrained. You know, growing up with so many stories from my mom of what it was like having me and me being a baby and she was at home and all of these things. And she did start working when I was in uh, first grade, but in my head and just looking around and, and what, especially even in the church, tends to be put up as the ideal, I had to get clear with God, am I doing something or do you want me to do something different? Because I will. Yeah. If you'd like me to not own a business, be like... And it, for me, I felt very clearly, God, I was like, no, this is how I wired you. This is what you're meant to be doing. And I gave you a very specific mission around inspiring women to live more fulfilling lives. That's what you're doing. And I want you to keep doing it. And yes, your family comes first, but I'm not telling you to let go of these other interests. And so for me, it was, this is what my life looks like according to how God created me. And that's more than okay. <laughs> that's that's what's right for me and my family. And I want to get that right because I want to be able to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Because we have to serve him ultimately, not what everybody else thinks. And that can be hard because that pressure can be very, very real. Yeah. Yeah. I think too, like, you know, it, and it's it's a process and I feel like it's like a a weekly, like a daily, a weekly, a monthly, a seasonally kind of like kind of thing where you have to check in and go, God, am I, are we still, are you like, are we still doing the right thing here? Because I think things do change Mm -hmm. in seasons. My mother-in-law talks about that a lot where like, just there are times where, you know, depending on what's going on in your family. I mean, so I'm, I'm going to not be working quite as much, you know, when leading up to when the girls are here, because apparently like, uh, you go into labor really early with twins a lot. And so they don't want that to happen. So I need to like really, really cut back, which is kind of uncomfortable for me. Um, And then once they're here, like I'm going to be busy. And so there's going to be, there's going to be a minute until we figure out just some rhythms and what it's like to be parents and do like, what, what does childcare look like and stuff where I'm, where my work has to like fall down a few rungs. And so there are different seasons, but I think that when we can, ask the question and keep asking the question and keep reflecting on it, like our primary role right now, like what what's at the top, then we can let go of some of the things. It's easier to let go of some of the things that are like further down the list. Like That's right. if we're getting A's in the right areas, like I'm going to take a D in housekeeping right now, <laughs> you know, and, and that's just, that's just really okay. That's not the primary right. thing right now. Yeah. When I talk about expectations, I actually identify multiple types of expectations. And one of them is outdated, outdated expectations. So when you move into a new season, you can hold on to expectations you used to have that you can't meet anymore or that you really should not try to meet anymore. And when I, when I got married, I automatically had two bonus daughters when I got married and I had been writing, I think the five or six years prior to getting married, I'd written a book every year. And there was a book due the year that I got married, <laughs> about maybe eight or nine months after I got married, the book was due. And I I got it done, but oh my gosh, it was like, it was hard. And so the following year when my son came along, I had to call my publisher and say, I know we have a book that's supposed to be coming out. I can't do it. I need about a year of not, not writing a book. I can't. Yeah. And, and I want to enjoy this process. Right. I've waited a long time to become a mom, but I realized I had these outdated expectations because obviously single with no kids. Like if I, if I procrastinated, it wasn't a problem. I'll write tonight. I'll write over the weekend. I wasn't willing to do that because I wanted to be there with my family. So I had outdated expectations and then I was feeling guilty and I had to let that go and just say, Hey, I know what we agreed to a couple of years ago. Life has changed and I can't do that. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> here's what I can do. And of course they were they amazing were about it and supportive, but that was an important 
decision that I had to make. Like, I can't keep going the way I was going because I've replaced that time. Yeah. With family. Yeah. I find that like the more often I may, I say things like that, the easier it gets. Like a couple of years ago, it was like impossible. I mean, I would, I would do crazy things to bend over backwards to make things work. And, and even, you know, preparing in this season, I'm like, okay, I have, I have twins coming soon. I have to step back from work here in a couple of weeks. And so I've had to tell people like, I can't do that after this date. I, you know, I can't, I can't be there for that. Or I can do that, but it has to be before this time. And just the more I say it, the taller I get and the easier yeah. it gets. And of course, everyone's amazing about it. And it just, it, I don't know. It just, it's just, it gets a lot. It's gotten a lot easier. Yes. And I even like, even in, in how I say things, a lot of times I'll, you know, I talk a lot about how we talk about what we have to do and, and the importance of sometimes saying I get to, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to, I get to. Um, but even when we're talking about what we can't do, even in that, sometimes we can make ourselves feel guilty. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I can't. And I think, but what can you do? Like what I can do now is, you know what? I'm really focused on taking care of myself and these little babies that are coming. Mm-hmm. So what I'm doing now is I've narrowed my my window of work to this. So here's what I can do, but this isn't one of those things. Like, and you might not feel guilty when you're saying it. I'm just saying I've had that instance of oh, like sure. saying I can't, the I can't, the saying no <laughs> can yeah. cause me to feel guilty. But the more important thing is, what are you saying yes to? You're saying yes to having an on-time delivery rather than a surprise early one, right? You're saying yes to your health and the health of your babies. Yeah, That's something to feel really good about. And feeling good is good. Like I said, the positive emotion actually really helps us to make better decisions and deal with the stress that that's on us. Mm. Oh my gosh, this is so good. Valerie, before we go, I would love it if, you know, if there's someone who's just sitting here feeling like they are the queens of beating themselves up, they are just drowning in guilt from all kinds of different, you know, sources and corners and things. Can you just give them like one last piece of encouragement? Mm. Well, number one, I believe you have crossed paths with this episode (laughs) of this podcast today for a reason. It's not a coincidence. So whatever has resonated with you, whatever idea you've had of, oh, maybe I could say this or do this differently, do it. Even if you have to set a reminder for yourself or jot it down and put a note somewhere, you're going to see it a lot. Don't let this be one of those things that you hear and then go on about your day. It's not that you have to make big decisions but even making the small shifts and changes can make a huge difference. You don't have to carry this burden of guilt around with you. God doesn't even, he doesn't want you living that way. And you know, the thing is God commands us to forgive, right? Yeah. <laughs> he forgives us, but we're asked to forgive others. But whatever it is you feel like you're doing wrong, you feel guilty about, you know what? God asks you to forgive yourself too. If he forgives you, you can forgive you. So what is it that you need to forgive yourself of? Even if you're listening right now going, I know it's false guilt. Okay, well, forgive yourself and ask, what do I want to do differently as I move forward? And for some, it is, I need to set a boundary. You know, you might have a mother or sister or somebody that is really good at the guilt trips and it's it's time to stop letting them push that button, deactivate the button, you know? So something's resonated, I'm sure, as we've been talking, and I'm just encouraging you to act on that and to have the courage to do it because it's going to feel so much better. And on the other side of it, the joy comes. Just like you just said, Stephanie, I feel taller and taller the more I say, no, I can't do that. (laughs) You start to feel taller, I believe, because that weight is not pushing you down. (laughs) That that weight of guilt is like it's lifting and you feel lighter. Your shoulders feel lighter. So, yeah, you feel like you're taller because you are. I love that. Valerie, thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, I just thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. You're so real and transparent. And 
you know, all of us, especially as women, we need that. We need to know we're not alone in this <laughs> because we're not. We're we're women, and so often we we have those beautiful gifts of empathy and being relational and caring about others. Yeah. And yet there's a flip side, there's a shadow side to that that can rear its head. And we just have to become more aware of it so we can be intentional about not letting it take over our decisions and our thoughts. So thank you for having me. Friends, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I cannot tell you how much it means to me to have you here at Girls' Night. Before you go, I would love it if you would do two quick things. The first is to subscribe. Subscribing to the podcast is the best way to make sure you never miss an episode. It's also a way easier way to listen because it's a way of sort of bookmarking the podcast. You never have to go looking for it again. Your app will just automatically download the next episode when a new one's released. The other thing is that it would mean so much to me if you would take just a quick second to leave a rating and a review for the podcast. The way that iTunes knows to suggest the podcast to new people is by the ratings and the reviews. That's how we invite new friends to our girls' nights. So would you do me a huge favor and take just one quick second to leave a rating and a quick comment about how you like the podcast so far? It would help me out so much. And thank you so much to all of you guys who have already done that, who have left those beautiful five-star reviews. It means the world to me. Okay, friends, that's all we have for today, but we'll be back next week with another episode of Girls' Night. I'll see you then.